you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see all of you here with us. Whether here with us means here in person or whether you're joining us online, welcome. And we're so glad that no matter where you are physically or wherever you are relationally with God, that you are here and part of our service today. So we want to honor you. We want to thank you for being a part of us here and and being open to what God has for you this morning. Now, as you saw on the screen, for many of you, uh, that's the first time that maybe you've been able to see Trevor Schulte and connect the name to the face. So we're uh, really excited that we have Trevor here and he's been here for the past couple of weeks. Um, And we're looking forward Looking forward to what God is going to continue to do through our youth ministry. So with all that said, I wanted to um, give us a little bit of context um, of where we are in our series. If this is your first time here with us, or maybe you weren't here this last week, uh, I wanted to let you know kind of where we've been in our series that we just started last week. And if you ever watch um, shows that kind of give you the like previously on whatever, and it says like, here are the plot points you need to know in order to get to uh, be aware of the context of that evening's episode, I want to give you a previously on seasons series um, update here so that you can have some context, you know where we've been, so we can be ready for where we're going and we can see what God has for each and every one of us. So with that said, what we started last week was this premise that we're going to repeat every week throughout this series. And that premise is this, that the more things change, the more God stays the same. That we're talking about different seasons that we experience in our relationship with God. We're talking about the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the ebbs and flows, and the fact that some of you right now are feeling great. You're basking in the sun of a relationship with God and you're loving it. Some of you are struggling and you're feeling like things are a little off. You're experiencing a season of transition. Some of you are in just complete winter and just feeling like there's no clarity, no hope, It's cold, and God seems distant. And some of you are in a season of new beginnings, of fruitfulness, of spring. And so I'm using, and we're going to reference that no matter which season you are in, God is still the same. God still loves you. You might experience it differently, but his love is not contingent upon our circumstances. We recognize that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, we can take hope And we can take solace in our tough times, we can rejoice in the good, and we can lean on him everywhere in between. So what we're doing here to set the the tone of where we're going to be is that we're looking at um, Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He has Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Um, He talked about in a podcast from April of 2018, he talked about different seasons in our walk with God, relating them to the seasons of the year. And so he starts off talking about how fall is um, a time of transition. We start to see the leaves starting to change color. They're not, the trees aren't dying yet, but there's a transition. For many of us, we're coming out of summer into fall, so we've got busier schedules. We've got more things on our plate. We're navigating new teachers for those of us who have kids in school and what that looks like. We're maybe a part of new sports teams, or we're going and we're getting to meet other parents, or you're just having a season of transition. Then we look at winter, and winter is a season of dying and grief. 
Maybe a dying to how things were that you loved and a grief that things have been lost. But what does it look like to know what God is like in the winter? And then we have spring, which is a season of fruitfulness, that the, the sprouts start to come up. The beginning of the first fruits start to arrive in the first harvest, and then we get to experience summer, which is the abundance. It's, it's the time where things are bountiful, things are good. And I'm not going to unpack too much there because summer is our topic of discussion this morning. Now again, we're looking at the different seasons, but then how does that relate to our series for this morning? Our series over the next few weeks is looking through the book of Psalms, and it's based on the life of David's Psalms that he wrote. So Psalm 31, 14, and 15 talk about how he says, Lord, you are my God. I trust in you. And then he says, my seasons or my times are in your hands. So we decided let's look at how does Psalm relate to God, or excuse me, how does David relate to God in a psalm when it's summer or fall or winter or spring? And how does he still lean into the Lord in the midst of those seasons? The context that we're looking at here is we're unpacking some concepts from Walter Brueggemann's book called Spirituality of the Psalms. The cover's here. Um, it's a relatively short book. Uh, we're going to be in this series for four more weeks. And so I'd encourage you, if you have any interest, to dive in a little bit deeper to this. Um, I believe it's like 100 pages, maybe a little less. I'd encourage you maybe to take some time to read that over this next month. It's not necessarily an easy, quick read, but it's going to be an impactful one. And it'll give you a little context of where we are going this morning and throughout this week. So we're taking the concepts of Pete Scazzaro's seasons, and then we're going to apply a structure that we see in Walter Brueggemann's three different types of psalms. He posits this. He puts forth this idea that there's psalms of orientation. Psalms of orientation are when things are going well, when everything in your life makes sense. It's the kind of idea, well, life is good, therefore God must be good. And we orient ourselves and with God and his word and the structure and the, and the order in the midst of chaos. And we say, okay, this is how things are good. We feel good about this. And that's the summer season, which we're going to unpack for the rest of today after the brief intro. The next one that we see here is disorientation. This is when if we are oriented and everything is right side up and good and we're, we're loving life, Disorientation is when things start to get turned upside down. The things we knew about God in our good days, we start to question in our bad. The moments when we cry out to God and it feels like he's not listening. Maybe he's with us like Jesus in the midst of the storm, but he's asleep in the midst of our struggle. And so how do we connect with God in a season of life being turned upside down and a season of disorientation? We're going to look at that transition in the fall season for next week, and then we're going to look at complete disorientation when life's upside down, God feels distant during our, our winter sermon in a couple weeks. And then lastly, Brueggemann talks about orientation, disorientation, and then he talks about new orientation. And this is what happens when the, the seeds that have been planted in the fall and have been watered by the difficulty of winter and the, 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 the good soil that comes out of a winter rest for agricultural purposes, then new life starts to bud. And it's not the same orientation as it was before. It's not that things were the exact same. It's now that we've been through something with God, now we have a new understanding, and I would propose a deeper understanding where he is not just having us experience the same difficulties over and over again. He's taking us deeper because he loves us so much to work in each layer to go deeper 
and more intentional to help us grow from the inside out. So that's the context where we're going to be today. We're focusing on summer. We're focusing on Psalm 37. Um, So if you will join me in a word of prayer, I'd love for us to go to the Lord together to say no matter what season you're in, even mathematically speaking, if it was perfectly evenly divided, only 25% of you would be in the season of summer. Now, it's not mathematical. It's how God knows where, which season we are in right now. But for some of us, we're going to say, yes, this is me. Others of us are going to say, I wish this was me. Some of us are going to say, I can't even picture this being me because things are so tough. But wherever we are, may God reveal to us in such a clear way what it is that we experience when our life is oriented with him so that it could give us encouragement and to keep going if we're doing well, that it could help us to hold fast when we're not, so that between the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, the ebbs and the flows, we know that the more things change, the more God stays the same. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who hears my voice right now, Lord recognizing whether they're live in person in our sanctuary, whether they're listening live online or watching or listening to the message throughout the week, each person who hears my voice is someone who's loved by you. Each person is someone that Jesus died for. And each person is someone the Holy Spirit wants to draw one step closer to you today. God, I know that no one is here by accident. So God, may you reveal what you have for each and every one of us this morning. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us as we dive into your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 37. And as you're turning there, you can use the Bible that are in the seat racks um, but underneath you. You can use the Bible app. If you're watching online, you can click the Bible tab on our online platform. And you can select Psalm 37 uh, and the NIV. That's where we're going to be this morning if you want to follow along that way. With that said... Um, recently, uh, it was about six months ago, six, seven, eight months ago now, I guess, uh, Steph and I decided that we wanted to get solar for our house. And it was one of those dynamics where we thought about it before, but um, where we live over on the west side of Escondido, kind of on the way to Harmony Grove, is that we would get notifications from SDG&E almost on a monthly basis that please prepare for a blackout on X date or whatever it is. And then we say, okay, like, how are we going to make this work? Let's make sure everything's charged. We can have, you know, we'll keep the fridge closed. We'll have, you know, we'll do, you know, the girls can do homeschooling here at the church. Whatever it is, we're trying to think, how do we make this work? And so we would get these calls. And then, not inevitably, but more often than not, the day of or the day before, we get a call that your planned power outage has been changed. And you have this moment of relief, like that's nice. But you've also had this moment of like, but why am I relying? Why do I have to worry about this? And there's so much... Um, planning and different things that need to come out of it. So it's nice, but it's frustrating. And so we decided, let's look into solar for our house and decide what would it look like for us to be able to get some panels that would allow us to be able to soak up the sun throughout the day and then to feed some of that back into the grid and then to use what we need to use. Now, the sermon title today is called Soak Up the Sun because What does it look like for us to orient our lives, to guide our lives, to focus our lives in such a way that we are able to soak up the goodness of what God has for us? See, the sun, I have like a love-hate relationship with the sun. Um, it's, It's nice, it's fine when it's warm, it's awful when it's scorching, and like when 
um, when like the temperatures turn into like FM radio stations, I start to get offended. Like this is 106, this is way too hot for right now. But recognizing that we know that there's a, there's a balance, because we know we need vitamin D, like we know we need sun rays, but we don't want to get sun burned. And so it's finding that balance. And so I would much rather be um, inside uh, watching a movie or reading a book than being like out and about. And my girls are more active than me, so it's good. It gets me out in the sun. And the last time we went to the beach, I went out for a little bit, and then I fell asleep in our little like, you know, sunshade. So, you know, it's a balance. But what does it look like for us? When we know we need some sun, we know that it's important for us, but how do we align, orient, and guide our lives when it comes to our relationship with God? Because it's not like we're going to get so much of God that we're going to get burned and it's going to get bad. But if we're not lining ourselves up, if we're not orienting our lives, if we're not focusing on God in such a way to receive and soak up what he has for us, then we're going to run the risk of experiencing seasons of winter and thinking that God's abandoned us. And it's just like saying, well, I tried calling you. Oh, yeah, but my phone died and I didn't charge it. Well, but then why didn't you pick up my phone? Well, I couldn't pick up the phone. It's the idea of we feel like it's God's fault that we have not stayed connected. But friends, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is ever-present. And so what does it look like to lean into him no matter what season it is? Now, why... Before we unpack Psalm 37, why is it that Psalm, or excuse me, summer is abundance? Like, why is that the dynamic that Pete Scazzaro tells us in his podcast? Well, the reason behind that has to do with the fact that there are two different harvests in the agricultural season for um, ancient Israel. Now, I'm going to read uh, first from Deuteronomy 16, so it'll be on the screen. You can follow along there. Because in Deuteronomy 16, it explains three feasts that all Israelites had to partake in, and all of them had to, um, that was very vital for um, the calendar, for the seasons, and for remembering what God had done previously in the lives of their people. Verse 13 says, Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your town. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. We'll leave this up here because it was called the, fe the Feast of Tabernacles because it was a reminder of when the people were in Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years and they had to live in these tents, these tabernacles, these tent dwellings. And so once a year after the harvest had come in, the Israelites were called to remember what it was like to have to rely on God, to remember their wanderings, and even more importantly, to remember God's faithfulness in the midst of that, to provide for them through those 40 years and how he still provides for them today. And so this year, the Feast of Tabernacles, I think, is October 9th. So it's, it's, a, it's a celebration that happens at the beginning of fall. So why are we talking about it with summer? Verse 13 that's highlighted there says this, Celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. 
There's two different harvest seasons, as I alluded, inside the agricultural season. The first is the one in spring. And in the spring harvest was when the cereals, like the the wheat, the barley, the grain, those were the ones that were harvested in spring. And so those were had a higher caloric intake. They became more the staple of their diet as Israelites. But that would be the food or the, the, the produce for the threshing floor. That the threshing floor is how they would cut it down and they'd be able to uh, make bread out of it. So then the summer harvest is the one in which the grapes would come, that fruit would come, that olives would come. And so we know the importance of olive oil um, throughout uh, the Hebrew scriptures for anointing and for different acts of service in the tabernacle. So we recognize that it's the summer season. The summer harvest is the one that has the fruits, the olives, and all of those other types of things. It's less, it's fewer calories, but no less important. And so When he says here in Deuteronomy 16 that you're supposed to celebrate God's provision, you're supposed to remember how he provided for you in the wilderness and how he still provides for you today, you're to do that when you have the produce from the threshing floor and for the wine press. It's saying your work has been done. The harvest, the full harvest, it's not spring, there's not more harvest to come. The harvest for that year is done and you can rejoice in the abundance that God has provided. It's recognizing that in our summer, for us, it's, it's school's out, schedule's change, the hard work that comes through fall, winter, and spring. There's a break in summer. And growing up, for me, summer was when I got to ride my bike with my friends. I would go to Ninten- play Nintendo 64 at their house. We would go ride our bikes to movies. Um, we would just spend the time together because we could do what we wanted. We enjoyed and delighted in summer. As an adult, I more think about how expensive air conditioning is, hence the solar earlier in the conversation. But recognizing this, summer is a time of abundance. It's a time of remembering God's providence. And so what does it look like in a spiritual summer? What is it that we experience? How do we experience God in the midst of a season of summer? So... To unpack this, I want to refer back to a Walter Brueggemann quotation from the Spirituality of the Psalms book I referred to earlier. And here's what he talks about when it comes to a season of well-being that we'll call summer. He says, human life consists in satisfied seasons of well-being that evoke gratitude for the constancy of blessing. Matching this, we will consider Psalms of Orientation, which in a variety of ways articulate the joy, delight, goodness, coherence, and reliability of God, God's creation, and God's governing law. Walter Brueggemann. So here's what this means. It's unpacking for us that when we experience psalms of orientation, it means we know which direction we're going. And when we read psalms of orientation, it feels like we're saying, okay, this is the way life should be with God. This is what we want. We want things to make sense. We want to experience his delight. We want to experience his goodness, his reliability, his joy, the creation and his law. We want to know that when we are following God, it's because, or it's not because, but we experience good fruit from following him wholeheartedly. It's we're orienting ourselves in the same way that when we put solar panels up on our house, they do a study or they figure out which direction will be the best placement for these panels in order to get the most sun. If we say, hey, we're going to spend all this money in order to install solar panels, and we're like, you know where I think is the best place? Two-car garage. Let's put them in our two-car garage. It'll save space. It'll be less of an eyesore on the roof. It'll be great orienting the panels in the wrong direction won't soak up any sun. 
orienting our lives around anything other than Jesus will cause us that we cannot enjoy a relationship with the Son. Right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So what is it that we experience? How do we know if we're in a season of summer, a blessing, a providence, a provision, a blessing, an abundance? Or if we're not in that, how can we remember those things and see what that's like so that we can face whatever season and what comes what may? What we experience in summer, based on some of the highlighted words we see in that Brueggemann quote, the first thing that we'll look at in Psalm 37 verses 1 and 2 is how we experience God's coherence. Coherence means it's something that makes sense. It, you can understand. It's clear. When our girls were younger, when they were babies and before they could speak, we would teach them signing, like baby signing time, so that we could have an under idea because they know more of what they want than they can communicate. And so if they just start babbling and, and we don't know what it is that they really need, it just seems incoherent to us, then we don't have a way to help them. And so I know when you're a parent, you start to learn their cries, right? You get to learn, okay, that's a hungry cry, that's a messy cry, that's a sleepy cry, and that's because the world is tough on me cry. You know, like you just start to get an idea of all the different cries. But until we have a way to know what it is they need, it seems like those cries can be incoherent. So when Shailen was upset and she would sign milk, I'm like, okay, you, you want milk, you're hungry. And it helped to put clarity and coherence into something that didn't make sense. So on the next slide, we see that the first thing we experience in the summer is coherence. Here's how we see it in Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2. Clarity, something that makes sense, coherence. He says this, David writes, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green, green plants, they will soon die away. See, this is what we want. We want, if we're honest with ourselves, with justice, we want, we want good things to happen to good people. We want, if we're honest, sometimes we want bad things to happen to bad people. And so when we look around, here's what, here's what he's talking about. He says, do not fret. This word fret is this idea of, of getting angry or agitated or anxious about something. It's recognize that things aren't fair because, Lord, I'm following you, and, and, and yet when I'm following you, I'm not getting these different things. I'm not experiencing this peace. I'm not experiencing joy. I'm not, ooh, I feel lonely, abandoned. And yet, God, why is it that people who are totally far from you, forsaken, for, have forsaken you, have left you, disregard you, don't care about you, why is it that their lives seem to be so good? Why are they getting all the things I'm wanting? And yet, Lord, I know your word says that you are my shepherd, I shall not want, but yet, God, here I am wanting, lacking, struggling, hurting. And so Psalm 37, what this is do, does a couple times, David, he reminds us, so instead of looking at someone's snapshot out of a moment in their lives, he reminds us and shows us to pull back and to see the bigger picture. So he's saying this, don't fret, don't get anxious, don't look to the sides and say, how about them or what about them and how come this? Don't look to the sides and look around you and get worked up and anxious and agitated because of those who are evil. What he says is that they are like a, a plant that is green, grass that is green that will green that is soon wither away. That the idea here is that if there's green grass, 
That sometimes you, they would grab grass to, in order to feed to their animals in order for them to have sustenance. In a moment of time, the grass looks green. It looks like everything's great. It looks like it has it all together. It's well-watered and well-situated. And yet within a moment, it can be taken and removed. When we see people that we would look at them like, oh, how come things are going well for them? They don't even love you, God. They don't even follow you, Jesus. We only see a moment in their lives. We don't see the big picture. Now, let me be very clear before we move on. If we're talking about the wicked, the people who are far from God, and you're listing people in your mind and you're pointing the finger like, yeah, they're the ones. Friends, with that same finger you point to others, we need to point to ourselves in the mirror. Because there are none that are righteous, no, not one. All of us fall short of the glory of God. We can't just say they're the bad people and we're the good ones. We could say they're ones who are far from God and we're near to him. We could repent. We could confess our sins and God is righteous and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We know that he can wipe us clean and make us whole and take our sins as far as the east is from the west. We know that he wipes us uh, white as snow when we were once crimson in our stain. We know this to be true, but the moment we point the fingers to others without doing a heart check with ourselves is the moment that we start becoming more like Pharisees and people who look down on others rather than disciples who want to come alongside others so they too can know and love the God that we know and love. So what we want is a world where things are good, therefore God is good, and we think God must only love me when things are going well. But the flip side of that, the negative aspect, if things are good, is God is good. That is true. God is good. But the negative side of that is then do we get the mistaken thought that if things are bad, does that make God bad? Or is it just that we're experiencing a different season? So what does it look like for us to say, God, I want to align, orient my life so that I could soak in as much sun as possible so that when those bad times come, not if, but when they come, because the storm comes on the house that's built on sand and the house that's built on rock, the winds come and beat the side, the storms come, the floods rise. Both, all of us experience these trials, these seasons, but only one withstands the trial because they built their house on the rock. So let's not build on sand and point to others who are building on sand and say, well, at least our sand is better than their sand. Let's build on the only foundation that can ever be laid, which is Christ Jesus in 1 Corinthians 3.11. Coherence. We want things to make sense. And when there's orientation in our life, we start to see, yes, God's created order out of chaos. He makes sense. And we love that because it provides us encouragement that no matter what chaos we feel around us, God is a good and orderly God. That's not the only thing, though, that we experience that we see through that Brueggemann quote and through Psalm 37. We experience coherence, but then we are also reminded to delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 3 and 4. Verse 4 is probably the most famous verse in this passage, and it says, 3 and 4 say this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This idea of delight is, is um, it's, it's basking in the presence. It's soaking up the presence. It's, it's this idea of me being, being pampered. It's this idea of 
um, loving someone so much, you just are so thankful to be with them. It's recognizing that it's just enjoying. Because friends, we have this temptation when things are busy or when things are going on or even when things are good, we either look to the side and we fret, like we talked about. We look back and we are sad or we, re- or we mourn what happened or angry. Or we look ahead and we say, well, what tragedy or what difficulty is coming around the corner? It's hard for us to sit in a season that's good and then just acknowledge we can delight in God. And we also turn this around, and this is a heart check. Verse 4 is a heart check for all of us. Because it says, delight yourselves in the Lord, or take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's what many of us do, myself included, if we're honest. We think, oh, I want the desires of my heart. I want God to bless what I want him to bless. I want him to answer prayers the way I want him to answer prayers. I want his goodness without necessarily always wanting to become more like him in his goodness. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, Delight myself in him, but my purpose for delighting myself in him is to make him see what I see and for him to acknowledge I am the one that knows best and for him to give me the desires of my heart. And we go to God, not with a desire to see him face to face, but a desire for, and who he is, but for a desire for him to give us his hands of just what he can do for us. We want him to bless our will rather than for us to lean into his. So what's the flip side? Instead of saying, God, I'm going to work backwards. I want the desires of my heart. Therefore, I'm going to delight in you. What happens is that when we delight in the Lord, and that can happen through time and prayer, right? It's in prayer, not just being when we talk at God about our struggles, you know, because sometimes we, we, we go through our list of things, and I've shared with you before. I remember when I first became a Christian, and I would pray every morning that I would have the exact same list, and my prayer time was 29 minutes every time. Not 30, not 25, it was 29 minutes. Because that, I was just going there, but what happens is, if I'm just talking at someone and not listening, is that a relationship? Is that a healthy, good relationship? Maybe some of you have friends that they, you go out to coffee with them, you go out to, to a meal, and you, and you want to hear their life, you want to catch up. And if they spend the entire time just talking about themselves, do you feel like, oh, I, I delighted in this conversation? Maybe, maybe there are times when you're able to do that. But if over and over and repeatedly someone doesn't listen to anything you have to say and they just want to find an ear to vent at, you may find yourself stepping back from that relationship in time. Now, does God step away from us when we turn to him? No. But is it a healthy relationship if we just talk at him rather than listen to him and delight in him? Is there a space in which we say, God, these are my prayer requests, but speak, Lord, your servant is listening. See, we can delight with him in prayer. We could delight in him through his word. We could delight in experiencing what it was that we were created to do. That Eric Liddell, as he shares or the story of Chariots of Fire, when he's able to run and he goes to the Olympics and he doesn't run on the Sabbath because he wants to honor the Lord and this whole story. But he has a line, he has a statement in there that says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. What is it that you do? whether it's an occupation, whether it's a hobby, whether it's spending time with people, listening, caring, praying for people. What is it that you do that when you do it, you feel God's pleasure? 
You say, this is what I was made for because there are things that only you can do in this world, that God created you uniquely. And that can be as simple as only you can reach your family member for Christ. I can't do it. You can. Maybe it's only you can start a ministry. Only you can lead a small group. Only you can pour into your kid's soccer team. Only you can be able to pour into someone who has kids because you're a grandparent now and you want to give wisdom. Only you can invest in certain people that no one else can do. So how is it that God has created you, shaped you, molded you, and formed you so that he can do his good work through you so that other people will see him through you? You can take delight and experience that joy through prayer, through his word, through doing what he's called you to do in a way that honors him. We bask in his presence. We soak up the sun and we orient our lives to receive as much sun as we can so that we can experience as much blessing and hope that we can in good seasons. And yet, we know Psalm 37 sounds Great, but it doesn't always match our experiences in our own life. Sometimes we have struggles. Sometimes we do stumble. So not only do we look at the fact that there's coherence, that good is good and wrong is wrong and righteous is righteous, and we can trust God's plan, his order in the midst of chaos. Not only do we recognize we could delight in him, but we can also look at the fact that he is reliable. He's reliable. He says what he says he's going to do. He, or he does what he says he's going to do. What he says, he does. What he says, he means. And so the reliability of God is something that we experience in summer. He says, I'm going to bless you, and you feel blessed. It's a great place to be. But it's not the place we always are. Now, real quick, Psalm 37 is 40 verses, and if you're following along on the time, we are not going to get all, to 40, all 40 verses today. But what I want to point out is the way Psalm 37 is structured gives us a couple of insights for how we're going to move forward. The first is that this is a wisdom psalm, so it's a psalm that speaks into the wisdom of following God and pursuing wisdom rather than uh, wickedness. And it's written in such a way that would be easier for someone to memorize in Hebrew because it's an acrostic poem. In other words, every couple of verses start with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it'd be like me writing a poem that the first two lines start with A and then B and then C and then D all the way through A through Z. It's a way of pointing towards the beauty and the creativity. It's a way of helping with memorization. And it's a way to show that there can be order in a psalm that talks about the need and reminder for God's order. It also shows us that in first, the first six verses that we've read already, is kind of the, it's kind of the thesis statement. It's kind of the direction. It says, this is, this is what you need to know. It says, don't look side to side. Don't fret about others. Do good. Trust the Lord. Delight in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him, and he will do this. He will do what he says he's going to do to those who are righteous. As verse 5 said, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. So that's the context, or that's the, the thesis. Then 7 through 11, and then eventually 12 through 26, these sections start to really paint the picture of Here's what happens with the wicked, and here's what happens with the righteous. And it's a comparison. The wicked have this, this, and this, but the righteous experience that. 
The righteous have this and that, but the wicked lack this. And so it goes back and forth, back and forth. The end of that section, 12 through 26, I want to take as another little, not thesis, but another main point that comes from this section in Scripture. And it's verses 23 through 26 that point to the reliability of God. Verse 23 says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. And we highlighted the part where it talks about how the Lord makes firm the steps. He makes firm those steps. He recognized that even when we stumble, because we will, says the righteous Though he will stumble, though he may stumble, the Lord picks him up. So, friends, we don't, we're not meant to live in an endless summer. We're not meant to live where there's always provision and always abundance and always blessing and all the things we've ever wanted forever and always are how we want them. Because whenever we see kids in movies or characters who always get everything they wanted, it seems so good when we want the things, but when we actually see that portrayed, it's awful. So I think of like Veruca Salt from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. She's like, I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it in my, I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. I had to sing it in order to get it out. Um, maybe you're like that. You only remember things in songs. So it's recognizing this idea that we want everything. And we want it exactly the way that we want it. And what happens when you say, you watch a character like Veruca Salt, you're like, that's what I want my daughter to be like. Someone who is entitled selfish, and cares for, no, for nobody else? No, of course not. Friends, it is in the winter when we don't get what we want that we learn character. It is in the fall when we're wrestling with things that we start to see. We may not understand everything about God, but we can cling fast to what we do know. It's in the spring when we start to see new life come that we can recognize, okay, God is still faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, this, uh, this mindset that we can't live in endless summer. But when we stumble, God picks us up. When we stumble, he doesn't kick us while we're down and then keep walking away from us. When we stumble, it's like Peter who's in the boat with the disciples and they see because of the storm that's happening and they see Jesus walking on water and they're afraid they think it's a ghost. And all of a sudden he says, Lord, this is Matthew 14. He says, Lord, if it's you, call to me and I'll come to you. Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. And while his eyes are fixed on his Lord, he does the impossible. He's able to walk on water. When he looks to the side and worries about the wind and the waves, he loses his step loses his foundation. He cries out, Lord, help me. And Matthew 14, I think it's verse 31, says immediately Jesus picked him up. He doesn't leave him flailing. He doesn't like throw a, a floaty at him and say, I'll be back. Immediately he picks him up. Friends, some of you are in a season where you feel like you're flailing and it feels like God's not picking you up. I hope you would allow me to encourage you that he is and he does, but it may not be how we've experienced it or what we know it to be. 
He's not left you alone. He's never left you nor forsaken you. We continue this on, in fact. It says, verse 25, I was young and now I am old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. See, Charles Stanley puts it this way, that God takes full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. When we are wholly yielded to the Lord, he takes responsibility for it. Doesn't mean we're, we're going to be devoid of difficulty. It means that he'll be with us in the midst of it. Doesn't mean that our way will always be easy, but his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Remember, yoke, he's, that means he's, part, he's with us, walking with us. We're sharing that road together. He takes responsibility. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. But we can still trust in our perfect God. When we're in a season of summer, a season of blessing, friends, we love the coherence of God. We love that things make sense the way we think it should. We love that we can delight in him. We love that he's reliable. When we stumble, he's with us. He'll pick us up. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't forget about us. He makes firm our steps, whether it's walking on water or just walking through the next day because we're trying to get through a difficult trial one day, one step at a time. And so he's reliable. Lastly, as we close, we got just a couple minutes left. We also get to experience the goodness of God, how he is good. Not that everything in our life is good, but that he is good. That's not a descriptor of how, you know, the pizza I had last night was that was good. No, no, no. It's a character trait ingrained in the very fiber of who God is. He can't be anything but good. The only reason we have any concept of good of evil and good and evil is because we see who God is and that is good and we have a concept of what the opposite of that is and that's evil. We know his word gives us moral truth to know what is good, what is right, what is true. And therefore, we know the flip side of what is evil, what is wrong, and what is false. So when we look at the goodness of God, we close the psalm with the final four verses. And it talks about how God works even when we're struggling. Verse 37. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. Again, he's trying to remind us. He's trying to remind us of the truth, of the reality of what's going to happen. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. This is the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. I jumped ahead a little bit. Um, before we go to where we just were, this slide points us to the fact that we look and we think, the, he says, I've Oh, yeah, no, you're good. You're good. I'm wrong. In verse 25, there's a section that talks about how we've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I wanted to pause for a moment to say we've seen people who know and love God, who are in a right relationship with him, who've had awful seasons, who've gone through great tragedies and difficulties. And so we could say, God, you have forsaken your righteous, the people you love. So how can you be good, God, if you do this? 
But remember, remember how Psalm 37 showed us a moment, a snapshot in time that a, a wicked person is like green grass. It looks good, and for that moment it's great, but just around the corner it's going to be uprooted and tossed to the ground to be used to feed for animals. In the same way, in a moment it can look like God has forsaken his people, but he never has and he never will. It's showing us that for a moment we feel abandoned. But he can never leave us nor forsake us. He's always with us even when we don't feel it and even when he's asleep in the midst of the storm. So then now I jumped uh, forward to verse 20, uh, verse 30, um, 37 through 40. And in that section is when it starts to talk about the fact he is the stronghold in the time of trouble. See, there are times Walter Brueggemann talks about how, let's go to the slide right before this, and talks about how people don't always experience this goodness. Again, just if it was purely mathematical, 75% of you aren't in a summer season. Again, it's not that, but let's just assume it is. Here's why psalms of orientation are important. These same psalms provide a point of reference, even for those who share in none of the present goodies, but who cling and hope to the conviction that God's good intention for creation will finally triumph and there will be an equity and a Sabbath for all God's creatures. In other words, God is still good, even when we're not experiencing his goodies or the, the things that feel good right now. He is still good even when we're surrounded by tragedy. He is still good even when we feel lonely. He is still good in the midst of whatever we are experiencing because it's, his goodness is not contingent upon our context. His goodness is who he is. Therefore, we know that we can rely on the goodness of God even when we haven't sniffed it or felt anything, any glimmer of it for far too long. Friends, why is this important now? If you're in a summer season, why are these things important? It's important because in addition to getting the solar system that we got on the top of our roof that was angled just accurately and just correctly, it was oriented properly in order to get as much sun as possible, to soak in as much of the energy as possible, we, got an, we also had installed a battery for those days when the power was supposed to go out. We also had to get, let's store up for ourselves the energy that we need. So we'll, we'll use what we need for the house. We'll store up extra in our battery. And then whatever's left, we can give back to the grid. And so when we are in those moments where, guys, we're, we're struggling, and it feels like there's no more goodness to be seen, have we done enough in our seasons of summer to be able to store up so that we have reserves? We have ideas of his goodness, of his reliability, of his delight, of his coherence. Can we, can we look and say, God, I don't feel it, but I soaked up enough of your goodness in my summer season so that it will withstand me through the frigid, lonely, cold of winter. So if you're like, hey, I'm good. I don't need to spend time with God because things are good in my life. Friends, if we think that God is only good when life is good. The logical conclusion is that when life is bad, we'll assume God is bad. But the reality is that God, no matter, the more things change, the more God stays the same. And so if you're in a summer season, may I encourage you, soak up the sun, soak up as much as you can so that you can, A, 
be sustained in good seasons. B, you can have what's extra. You can have a reserve for difficult seasons. And C, so you can give back to those around you that are struggling. That just as the grid needs more energy, people in your life need more Jesus. And hope and purpose what if you are the only one? What if you are the one that God has placed in the lives of those around you in order to point people to the Son? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who hears my voice right now again, that each person, Lord, whether they're in a summer season or not, Lord, may we be reminded today of your goodness, of your reliability, that we can delight in you and that you're following you is coherent. doesn't mean everything's always perfect, but when we stumble, you pick us up. When we fall, you reach your hand up and immediately help put us back on solid ground. Lord, I pray for the people in this room or listening or watching later that, that they would know, God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus, and that the more things change around us, the more, God, you stay the same. So may we lean into you. May we draw close to you. May we soak up as much of your goodness as in a season of summer so that we could experience the other seasons. Have reserves for winter and pour into others and show them who you are. Mean us here today, Lord, and help us to draw close to you each and every day. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.